Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk with you as always. And today, man, hey, it's actually one of our better podcasts in a while. This is fascinating. We are going to be talking with David Griffin, the GM of, well, former GM of Phoenix Suns and the Cleveland Cavaliers about his new show on NBA TV, but also some experiences he had as a GM that kind of apply to the news going on today around Anthony Davis and LeBron James and Lakers and all that. So we'll get into all that. Plus Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports is with us to talk about the race in the Eastern Conference. It's really going to be a great podcast. First, just a reminder, we're being brought to you today by OnDeck.com. That's OnDeck.com. If you're a small business owner and you need help managing cash flow, look, just getting access to capital to handle upgrading your office space or purchasing inventory, this is the place to go. OnDeck.com slash PBT. You get a free consultation and we'll talk more about them later. But now let's start this podcast with our conversation with former Suns and Cavaliers GM David Griffin. And we talk about a lot of things. Look, he spent a lot of time in the chair. So how did he use analytics compared to the eye test and gathering information? How does all the noise that goes on around a team impact you as a GM, and especially when you're the GM of a team that's got LeBron James on an experience he has had? We get into all of that, but first, we talk about a new project he's doing with NBA TV called GM School, where they put people through a program to kind of, well, test them to see if they can be GMs. It's an interesting idea because I think part of what's just fueled the rise in the NBA over the last couple of years is that there's a lot of fans that like to play GM and do this. And so you take a couple of these guys and you're, you're really actually putting them to the test to a degree. Yeah, I, I thought they did an exceptional job. You know, we have four contestants and having been with NBA TV prior to this and, and really getting to see things in a totally different light, uh, I, I had a different appreciation, I think, for this process than I would have otherwise. They did a fantastic job. SAP and the partners affiliated with this did a great job of putting together four really diverse contestants who all have strengths of their own that are sort of unique from one another. Um, so it was a, it was a cool process. It's, it's not just taking into account the fact that everyone thinks they understand analytics. I hope we speak to the analytics crowd, but it's really about the totality we yeah. hope of, of what the job to some degree requires and identifying what strengths and weaknesses it takes to do it. So it was fun. It was a, a really an enjoyable process to be part of. Yeah, I, when I when I was reading the description, that's what le- leapt out at me. It's like everybody, you know, they know, you know, people know how to go to NBA.com or, or wherever and get their stats, and they they figured out how to use the trade machine. But like doing the press conference, for example, like there's stuff that's much harder than like that's not necessarily part of the description that people don't think about. That's really hard. Yeah, and I think the way. So it's hard to do a, a press conference setting that would be real and organic for someone like this. Yeah. So that challenge really ends up being more of like a a public grilling as an interview process. Yep. Um, with bright lights and sitting up on the podium, but it's not surrounded by 60 cameras, you know. So it's interesting. That's a difficult thing to uh, simulate. And at the same time, I, I think Roz in particular, who, who I'm with on the show, Roz Goldon-Woody, I thought she did a really good job of, of making it as, as true to form as possible. Uh, when, you, when you were working as a GM, I mean, and, and maybe again in the future for you, hopefully, uh, when you're doing that, how much do you put in eye test versus analytics versus other sources? 
Well, it's it's got to be a marriage of all of them. You know, analytics are never the answer in and of themselves. Uh, there's infinitely more data available to us in large part because of SAP, but Second Spectrum does some things from a analytics and data standpoint that have given us far more robust data sets to make decisions from. And I, I think because of that, people think the answers are in the numbers, and the reality is the numbers only answer the better questions you ask it to solve. And I think people lose sight of that. It's The numbers are a part of the process. They're not the answer in and of themselves. And what I think has been great, because we've got so much data now, and there's so much that we're able to really break down in terms of the minutia of the game, lineup analysis, and player-driven data, that what's really becoming interesting now is trying to find what the next frontier will be and how you incorporate incorporate that data into identifying other factors that make players successful. You know, grit, by way of example, is a tough thing to measure right now. And as you go through the process of building a team, the intel, your eyes and your ears, are just as important, probably more so than the numbers. Um, But those first two things sort of generate the questions that you ask the numbers. Well, and isn't that part of it, too? It's like, you can find a guy with all the athleticism in the draft, and you're like, wow, this guy's, you know, his athleticism is off the charts. He put up numbers in college. But if the guy the guy doesn't love the game and isn't putting in the work, um, like, you necessarily, you, you're trying to find the guys who will reach that potential because those guys will, will generally succeed. Those are the guys who will succeed. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think a guy like Matthew Dellavedova. Yep. would be the flip side of someone who doesn't quite have that same level of committedness and grit. Delhi is all about that. And the reason Delhi has made it as far as he has is that his desire and want to have always outstripped his actual raw talent, but his raw talent wasn't bad. Yeah. <laughs> so he had a he had the 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 minimum uh, he sort of met the minimum criteria physically and then honed himself into an incredibly sharpened uh, weapon of excellence, really, is what he is. I mean, I I think this kid is all about winning, and everything he's ever done has been about winning. So you want to find the blend. You want to find the blend of the really elite talent, which, frankly, I think every fan can recognize who the truly talented people are. Some people are touched by the hand of God to play this game, and you can see it. Other people are touched by the hand of God to be able to compete for a spot in this game. And it's all of the intel around all of those players that tell you how far they'll go. Right. And also when you're in that job, you have a different different kinds of pressures, different kinds of things coming at you. I mean, for example, and this I mean we've seen this as recently as this trade deadline in more than one case, you've got pressures like agents leaking things to try to put public pressure on an organization as a GM does an, an organization, does that affect you much or, or you try not to let it affect you? I would imagine. Well, one of the things that's critical to running an organization that's going to be all about winning. And that ultimately the only thing that will mark success is winning a championship is that you're naturally going to be subjected to more noise around the process. There's going to be more tension in the system. And, and that's a positive thing if, if you make it one. You, know, you have to become really adept at dealing with adversity and turning adversity into a positive galvanizing force. I think you've seen Golden State do that this year yeah. with the blow-up between Draymond and, and KD. They've come out of that a stronger, better version of themselves, and that's what you have to do as an elite franchise. All adversity becomes opportunity for you. And I think what's hard for people when they're making the jump from lottery bound over and over again to now we need to be truly elite is that there are several steps in that growth and evolution as a team that are that are difficult and painful and people don't always welcome adversity and you're not going to get you're not going to get to a championship caliber team from a team of young kids that were in the lottery overnight and so i think what you've seen at this trade deadline it wasn't so much the the agent leaking something, the agent went on record. That was a matter of public record, which is why the player was fined, by way of example. But what you saw was an awful lot of noise and an awful lot of media being used to deliver messages back and forth. 
And now that I'm on this side of the street and looking at things through the lens that I am now, you could almost predict the next thing that would be placed in the media. So your job as a leader from a franchise building standpoint is to be in front of all those things and to share with all of the different interest groups around your team, listen, this is our vision, this is where we're going, and ignore the noise. Yeah. Part of that noise, you were in a special situation too. I mean, you're one of the few people who can speak to this. LeBron being on your team and in your franchise brings a unique set of pressure and noise, right? I mean, it, it, how do you deal with that? Yeah, well, again, I mean, it's, it's like I said, all of your stakeholders involved in a team that are run by Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka in Los Angeles, they were already incredibly focal in terms of the NBA. That is an absolute linchpin of a franchise for our league and always has yeah. been. So they already were dealing with more media and more scrutiny, I think, than most teams ever do because they were one of the flagship franchises in our league. And Magic Johnson grew up in that spotlight. So I don't suspect anything has happened that they don't know how to deal with or that they're not prepared for. But what happens is LeBron's presence by itself brings that level of spotlight. So it takes some, it takes some time to learn how to deal with it. And again, if you don't get in front of it from a leadership standpoint and you let it just happen, the proliferation of sports media and social media, it just creates so much around your players that to some degree, if you're not telling them how to decipher it, they can't help but take it poorly. And and you need to do a really deaf job as a leader of getting people to ignore those things because, you know, I think Kevin Durant called it a toxic environment around a, a LeBron James yeah. team. I don't think he meant that relative to LeBron James and his actions. I think he meant it relative to just the sheer volume of noise around a team. And again, that that takes getting used to, and it, it takes some some failure, quite frankly, on the part of leadership to figure out, okay, now I know exactly how to handle it. And in the case of the Lakers in particular, but I think this applies to other teams too, when you look Sixers and stuff going through you know, growing pains, the first time that these young players suddenly see themselves in trade rumors and in, you know, the... The human shakeup of it, like, oh my gosh, I might have to move. I might have, you know, uproot my family in some cases. That's, that throws them off as much as anything. Like, that's what you're dealing with, the human side of it, as much as just the, the social media aspect of it, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's the problem is that all of these players are on social media. They are, they're subject <laughs> to noise from more angles and a greater volume than any players ever have been. And I think because of that, it, again, it makes it really important that you run the kind of organization where you love each other enough to tell each other what they need to hear. And you have to be in front of those messages. You have to have conversations with Lonzo Ball ahead of time. You have to talk to Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma ahead of time so that when those things happen, they understand it's just a natural uh, sort of outcropping of, of being on a team of that magnitude. And it happens because you matter as a franchise, and they need to understand that. And I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm not going to mention any names or jobs you may be may or not be rumored for here. But um, when you take your when you look at a job, uh, what or if you want to go back into this, what are you looking for in your next GM job? What are the priorities for you to accept a job like that again? Well, I think the the blessing of of doing what I'm doing uh, relative to NBA TV is is selectivity. And it's, it's helped me, I think, be radically better at analyzing things that maybe I, I wouldn't have been as good at. And as I look at it now, the thing that would attract me to an opportunity is, is just the opportunity to be in lockstep with ownership, to, to have ownership, the head coach and the front office on the same page moving forward and sharing a vision. And if you can be in that environment and you can be empowered to lead in such a way that you do run an organization in the way I, I said, you, you have to raise a family. And if you can't come at it with that approach, then it's it's probably not going to be a situation that would speak to me. Thanks again to David Griffin for joining us. I want to talk to you before we get into a conversation about the Eastern Conference. If you're a small business owner, you really should listen to this because look, I know, we know, it's just not easy. You need help managing cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, upgrading your office space. All of that, the problem is, takes access to capital. And if you're a small business owner, 
It can be hard to get that kind of access. The big traditional banks don't understand you. They lack the technology and the resources to get what you're doing. That's where OnDeck.com comes in. They're 100% committed to small business owners, fast, easy loans and financing. Look, you can get a loan up to $500,000, lines of credit up to $100,000. The application is simple and it won't impact your personal credit. It's a fantastic way to go about this. And look, they've already lent over $10 billion to 80,000 small businesses. They've got a great rating with the Better Business Bureau. If you're a small business owner, you need to go to ondeck.com slash PBT right now. If you go to that, use the slash PBT as in Pro Basketball Talk as an exclusive listener to this podcast, you'll receive a free consultation with one of their U.S.-based loan specialists. You can apply online. You can also do it over the phone. You'll find out in minutes. Go to ondeck.com slash PBT. That's O-N-D-E-C-K dot com slash PBT for your free consultation now. And Well, let's get into talking about the Eastern Conference playoff race. And now we're going to bring in Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports. Keith, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you, Kurt? I- I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I wanted to have you on because you follow this closely. And man, the Eastern Conference race the rest of the way is just going to be fascinating. Like, Honestly, I mean, you feel this way, and I, I would have had the Pacers in there pre-Victor Oladipo. I, I don't think they can win it now. But I feel like any of the other four teams, Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, or Philadelphia, I could see in the finals, and I wouldn't feel shocked. Yeah, I'm with you there, and, and you know, I'm in the same boat on the Pacers. I've, I've got them, unfortunately, out as well. I think you just you need that kind of star power in the playoffs. You need that guy who's going to go win you a game when you really need, and they don't have it. But the other four, sure, you know, and, and unfortunately, you get this kind of feeling that this could come down to an injury, as these things often do. Oh, hopefully not. Hopefully everybody's healthy, and we just decided on the court. But but yeah, it's it's a lot better than it has been when we waited to see who was served up for LeBron's fought her in the East finals is he, you know, steamrolled his way to yet another NBA finals. Honestly, if we, a couple of us were talking about this in Charlotte, like I don't think it would have been that way this year though. Right. Like assuming it was still Cleveland with a similar or slightly improved roster, but they, you know, they had no cap space. I, I think all these teams would have been as good or better. So now part of it is they might've loaded up a little because he's not there, but I think the dynamic would have been different. Yeah, I'm with you. I, th- I think, yo, I think, and that's part of the reason why I think he's not there. I think he saw that writing yeah. on the wall that, yeah. you know, the Celtics weren't going away. Philly was coming. Um, you know, obviously he didn't know about Toronto at that point, but they've been very good. And, you know, they, they didn't get by them quite as easily as they had in the past. And then the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, with, with Giannis, I think, you know, I think LeBron picked a good time to jump conferences and say, all right, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with this. So let's move on to the, to the West and see what I can do out here. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with this though. Right now, as you know, heading into the games after the All Star break, the Indiana Pacers are the three seed, one game up on Boston and Philadelphia, who are directly tied. While I don't think they go deep in the playoffs, I'm not totally convinced they slip out of the top four in home court. Like they're still playing good basketball right now. They've won. Um, well, they lost one right before the break, but they'd won a few in a row. They're a good team still. Do you think they hold on to that spot? Yeah, I think there's a good chance that they could stay in the probably not three. I think Boston will get past them, but they they maybe could hold off Philly if Philly continues to have some you know bumps and ups and downs and trying to figure it out. The one thing the Pacers you know probably more than maybe any team in the Eastern Conference they know who they are. You know, even without Victor Oladipo, they know you know this is the team we are, and we're we're going to kind of do do our thing. Wesley Matthews helps a lot there on the wing, especially defensively. He's a good guy, and then people you know perennially underrate Boyan Bogdanovich, and that guy is yeah. somebody he can go get you 20, 25 points a night without too much worry. He's pretty efficient, you know. And in part of where I became a believer was in him was on the international stage. You know, watching him carry you know teams in the Olympics and various international competitions. So, you know, they they've still got, you know, lots of guys who are, you know, good solid players and, you know, I, I think it's it, I don't I think they'll slip to 5, but it wouldn't surprise me if they stuck in 4 in the 4 spot. Yeah, I think it's possible. Uh when you start thinking about the playoffs and assuming, you know, those big 4 move on, uh which, you know, we kind of all expect. I Brooklyn's a lot of fun, but they're not going to beat anybody in a in a playoff series. Do you think one of the 4 comes into the postseason with an advantage over the other ones? Geez, you know, that's a good question. I would say maybe Milwaukee. 
a little bit because I think, despite the fact they're only game up on Toronto, but they have been playing just you know ridiculous basketball. They're you know they're they've been one of the better teams in scoring differential in not just in the NBA this season, but they they've hovered right around the ten um, mark plus ten points um, per game mark, which is really that's a historical historic level. We really don't see teams do that you know all that often. It's been you know the, the Warriors have done it in recent years, and I think that kind of colors our perception a little as to how easy that is. But, you know, Milwaukee has just been really consistent game in, game out. They played well, you know, at home. They played well on the road. There's just not a lot of weaknesses in their game. And if they get Nikola Miritich feeling good and healthy and integrated, there's just not a lot of holes in their rotation either. No, there's not. Um, I, 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 my question about them becomes in the postseason, when the defenses crank up, you know, Will Eric Bledsoe continue to play this well, or will he? Will he? Sometimes he's struggled to deal with pressure. Will Will that return? And we just haven't. There, look, Giannis is Giannis, and like Giannis is as good a player as you know there is in the league. You know he's in that elite carry the team category. But is Chris Middleton good enough to be a second number two on a championship team? Yeah, it, probably not on a championship team, but on a team to get to the finals, I think he's that good. The interesting thing is, you know, now you're talking to a guy who covered the Celtics play them in the playoffs last year, and I, I still yeah. don't think Middleton's missed a shot against Boston. You know, he just <laughs> you know killed killed them all series long. So you know, I I'm I'm not as worried about him, but I am a little worried about Bledsoe. I'm a little worried when defenses can game plan for Giannis and they just say fine, we're just going to play off you, you know, 15 feet. We're going to pack the paint. We'll, we'll drop off Bledsoe and Brogdon if we have to, you know, we'll, we'll stay at home on Lopez and Middleton, but, but we're going to make you take jumpers or, you know, kick it out to these guys who are not quite as afraid of shooting the basketball. And that's going to be, you know, really tough. My bigger worry with the Bucks is Mike Budenholzer has put together some fantastic regular seasons on a pretty regular basis as a head coach and then come playoffs. Yeah. It's all about making adjustments to the adjustments, right? We always like to say game one and then what is what is the team that lost doing game two? And then, you know, how do you adjust to that game and keep going? And that's one of the things Bud just hasn't done great with, you know, in his tenure. So if he can't get that figured out, Milwaukee might end up disappointing in the playoffs after what's, you know, going to go down as a really, really good regular season. Yeah. And I think that that's where, I, first off, if I, I, I kind of believe in Toronto, although, you know, I know everybody out there will be happy to point out their myriad of playoff foibles and Nick Nurse, the coach, has not been there before, but the team has and Kawhi Leonard has. I think, yeah. I mean, how much, to me, that's the guy that changes the dynamic. That's the guy that can go get them buckets and more importantly, go get them some stops in, in key moments. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, think about it when everything slows down in the playoffs. Now they've got Marcus All, who you can yep. you know play that inside out game with him. He can, you know, either run pick and roll, pick and pop. You can even dump it down into him in the post and say, you know, either go get us a basket, get a foul, or you know, find cutters or shooters off of you playing through the post. And that's you know been one of the things that they they've really kind of lacked. You know, I, I'm I'm a big uh Jonas Valanciunas fan, but he just wasn't that guy, you know, and all too often in the playoffs he was you know, on the bench five minutes into the game because he already had two or three fouls. So, you know, Gasol's not going to do that. And, you know, as you said, you've got Kawhi's to have been there and done that. Danny Green's been there, done that. You know, Kyle Lowry, you know, he knows this thing. They added Jeremy Lin to really kind of shore up some of the depth that they lost when they traded DeLon Wright. So, you know, it's it's really hard to look at the Raptors. You know, I, a lot of people are saying, yeah, but they lost, you know, a lot of depth when they, you know, made that trade. Well, in the playoffs, you're going to shrink down to eight or nine guys anyway. So it doesn't really matter you know, the, the depth that they lost because they weren't going to be playing 10, 11 guys a night as it, as it was. So, you know, they're, they're going to be just fine, you know, going to the playoffs. It's, you know, the top of the East, as you say, it's just going to be so much fun this year because, you know, as you mentioned right off the jump, any one of those four teams, you can really say, I can see them pulling this thing off. Yeah. And to me, that brings us to Boston where they've done it before and they've got Kyrie Irving, like Kyrie Irving, I don't think we need to go through the credentials. He's won a ring. He has made the biggest shot in the Cavaliers franchise history. I'm really not worried about him stepping up on the big stage. And they've got guys who did it. Now, the question is, do they figure out the the weird chemistry stuff where guys weren't as – have just, you know, Jason Tatum's not totally comfortable in his role. 
more so with with um, you know Rozier off the bench and Brown hasn't been like can they. There's moments where it looks like they rise, they play that way, and especially when they they play up to the level of the competition. Yep. But but can they? Will that be good enough in the playoffs? I guess. Yeah, and that that's that's one of the reasons I don't have a lot of worries because you're not you're not running into the mm-hmm. Phoenixes and Chicago's and Cleveland's of the world. Where I think the Celtics just you know right, wrong, or indifferent, they have a little bit of this attitude of. Yeah, we just got to show up and that's not really the case. You know, they're they're not quite that good. You know, they're they're not Golden State where they can play at 80% and you know still handle, you know, most teams in the league despite what I think they they feel like they were. I think their challenge has been every time they start to get everybody kind of there and then it looks like, you know, Stevens has figured it out with a nine-man rotation and guys seem comfortable, somebody else gets hurt and goes down, yep. whether that's, you know, Al Horford missed time earlier this year and Marcus Morris has been in and out some and Kyrie has missed time and now Rogier and, you know, so that's, I, I think that's one of the concerns is, you know, but they, they had those two bad losses to the Los Angeles teams. There's no other way around it. They, they weren't good you know, lost, especially considering they were at home. But when you flip it around and look at it, the Celtics have won 12 of their last 15. They're really playing pretty good basketball. Some of those games weren't even close. They handled teams, you know, a couple of teams that are okay teams too, and just blew the doors off them. So I think, you know, I I think it gets overblown a little bit with with Boston, you know, and, and again, this is a team that I think when it comes down to it, they, they they touted how, you know, we have 11, you know, 12 rotation players. Yeah, well, that's all well and good, but it doesn't matter. You need to know who your eight or nine are. And I think Stevens knows who those eight or nine are now, as long as, again, those guys are all healthy when we get to the postseason. I think the health is a big thing. To me, they're the team with the lowest margin for error, right? Like, they've got to play good defense. They've got to play well as a team night in and night out because – as good as Kyrie Irving is in every series against one of those other top four teams, they don't have the best player on the floor. I think Joel Embiid is better. I know Giannis and and Kawhi, you know, a playoff focused Kawhi who's actually playing every night. Um, like that's going to be. I mean, they've got to do it like they did last year a little bit as a team and and have other guys, you know, a variety of guys step up and some balance in scoring, and they're capable of that, but. They can't like just whether it's an injury or an off night or just you know Jason Tatum goes cold. They can't afford that for very long. No, you're right. They they need to make shots because they're one of the most jump shot heavy teams in the entire league. And now you know the Warriors obviously dispelled that whole a jump shooting team can't can't win. But I think people overlook the Warriors also get a ton of layups and dunks and get to the line a lot too. Yep. You know that that gets overlooked because you know because you've got Steph and Clay and and. KD out there, you know, bombing away from three. People think that's all they do. That that's not really the case at all. But to go back to the Celtics, they 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 don't get those easy buckets, and that's the the challenges. They they don't you know all too often when they go in these stretches where you know, and this happens to every team you know in games. Sometimes it happens within a game. You might start out you know knocking down everything, and then you're going to go cold because everything balances out eventually. And that's when these teams come back on them. That's what happened in that Clippers game. You know, they started out great, and then they went cold, and that was it. And they didn't have you know we could go get an easy basket. So that's that's you know challenge number one for them. I think the the other um, thing with them is it, it took a long time to get here, but they've now, they, they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. We all know why. It's because they're saving all their bullets for Anthony Davis. They're, that's the guy that they want to go get. But they added, in a lot of ways, it sounds weird to put it this way, but they're kind of adding Gordon Hayward, who has really started to yeah. come on. You know, since the beginning of February, really since the middle of January, he has played, you know, really, really good basketball. And it's and it's tough because every time he has a stinker, somebody goes out there and is like, you see Hayward, you know, $30 million, what a waste. Like like every player in the NBA doesn't occasionally throw, throw together a terrible game. You know, but Hayward, when you look at him, those are starting to become few and far between. And he was really, you know, when they beat Philadelphia going into the All-Star break, he was one of the best players on the entire floor. And the only, that's the only thing I'll question, you know, when you, you know, say in general, I agree, they don't have the best player on the floor compared to those other three. But I think when they play Philly, because Embiid struggles against Al Horford and Aaron Baines and the way the Celtics defend them, I do think they have, you know, the best player on the floor when Kyrie's healthy and ready to go in that game, only because they've kind of cracked the mystery to how to defend Embiid. Yeah, that's the one matchup that's really interesting, right? Like, because 
Joel Embiid is still the centerpiece. He has to be having a good series, a good game for them to win. Oh, a good series. I mean, they can beat Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, like Phoenix without him or something. Sure. But in a playoff series, they're going to need Joel Embiid to be dominant. And Al Horford, veteran tricks, bigger bigger body, I think, than people realize. But smart, just gets in his head, just contests him, just bothers him enough. And Embiid doesn't have great games, doesn't overpower him physically. And when that, that doesn't happen, then... There's not quite the lanes for Simmons to do his thing, and you're pulling Embiid away and, and yeah. from the basket, and just the whole thing didn't flow right. Uh, it, it's 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 a tough match. I mean, we'll see if that ends up being the matchup. Everything's so close, but that's a tough matchup for Boston if it happens. No, in, in what, I mean for Philadelphia if it happens. Yeah, and what, what you see with Horford, you saw it in that that game. You really see when Horford and Baines are both in there. What happens is. Horford will, all right, you're going to, I'm going to let you play outside with the ball and, you know, do your thing. Cause Al Horford obviously is comfortable defending a guy like Embiid on the perimeter. Then when Embiid's like, all right, I'm going to take you in the post. We saw him do it to him, you know, in that, that game going into the break, Horford, then he pulls the chair on him and then Embiid, you know, stumbles yeah. and loses it out of bounds. And then what happens is then when Embiid is just finally starting to settle into a little bit of a rhythm against Horford, then they throw Baines in there and Baines just bodies him and, you know, throws him all over the court and really, you know, just makes life miserable. Now, Embiid might dunk on him, but Aaron Baines is one of those guys, okay, cool, you dunked on me. I don't care. You know, you, I stopped you two of two of three trips down the floor. That third one, you dunked on me, whatever. Doesn't matter to me. Let's just keep playing. And that's, you know, while, while the dunk will draw the highlight, Baines is content to just say, eh, let's just keep going. You know, and that that's there. there's no other team in the league that can defend him quite that way because they just don't have those two smart veteran defenders to throw at him like this. Celtics too. With Philadelphia, I mean, that's the best starting five. And I honestly, I think they did okay with their depth at the deadline. Like it's some of the stuff, little moves they made. Uh, Mike Scott can help them space the floor. He's may not, maybe not be as good as Muscala, but he, he he's a val- valuable, like he can stretch the floor as a big and play some minutes. James Ennis, you know, didn't fit in great in Houston, but again, serviceable backup rotation guy. I, that's a how and, and you get we were talking you were mentioning this earlier you get down to an eight-man rotation the nine-man rotation in the playoffs well now I can keep two of those starting five guys on the floor at any time that should be dangerous it just hasn't it hasn't gelled yet and and I I mean I think that's fair because it hasn't been long but can they gel in time yeah, and, and it's interesting you talk about him gelling because I think they were just starting to figure things out a little bit with Jimmy Butler. You know, it t- took yeah. took a couple months to get there, and now all of a sudden, now you've got to you you got to kind of start the process over again with with Tobias Harris in there, and that's that's tough. But you hit on the exact thing I've said with Philly. What makes them so much more dangerous is you can always have two of those big four guys on the floor at all times, and that's going to be I think the way Brett Brown's going to have to have some difficult conversations with with. Guys like Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, probably most of all, to say when it's all five of you starting, you're probably not going to get a lot of shots. I need you to, you know, play off the ball and you know, kind of do do other things. But I'll get you your shots when you're in there with the reserves. That's when I'm going to need you to take over because the reality is. Joel Embiid, yeah, he can knock down outside jumpers, but he's not that good. So he needs the ball to be effective. Ben Simmons is, you know borderline useless without the basketball in his hands, you know, unless you're going to just straight stick him in the dunker spot. And then, you know, we'll see. And then JJ Redick, he's a guy who needs 10 to 15 shots a game just to get in rhythm and stay in rhythm. So, so for me, what I would do is it, I'm going to leave all five of them together as the starters, but then you're going to come back and say, all right, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to pull Jimmy Butler early. You know, I'm talking, you know, four or five minutes in and sit for three minutes or so. Then when Embiid and Simmons come out, I'm going to come back with you with a couple of these reserves, and now it's your time. You know, now it's your time for the next five, six minutes of game action to say it's your ball. You you know, you go make it happen. And then when you need a little break, now I'm coming back with Simmons or Embiid, and you know, Brett, Brett Brown has a lot of you know options. It's only if he's going to get really deep into the bench where it's kind of I look at it as some of these guys are a little bit names better than game at this point. It's you know, yeah. jo- Jonathan Simmons. I live here in Orlando. He was out of the rotation here in Orlando, so it's one of those things where people like to look at it and say, oh, geez, you know, the Spurs used to put him on James Harden. Now we have him as our ninth or tenth man. 
yeah, but he's not the same guy. There's there's a reason why he wasn't playing for the Magic, you know, and that's that's a uh, you know. So so I think you want to look at that a little, but but yeah, I you know Philly's as dangerous as they've been at any point in this you know kind of buildup over the last couple of years. The question I've got is, if you're taking Jimmy Butler and you're and you're doing that, you're playing the first I don't know six seven minutes of the game, eight minutes whatever. You pull him out and then he starts the second quarter with the reserves. Is Jimmy happy? Because keeping Jimmy happy becomes whatever happens, you know, whether he stays in Philly or goes to New York or the Clippers or wherever he ends up, whatever he ends up doing next year. Keeping when Jimmy's happy and focused, he's a force of nature. But that doesn't always happen. It just he's not always the the guy most um he just he seems to fade out when he's at points. And and I think keeping him happy and and Obviously, we can see what happens when he gets disgruntled. I, that's going to be the challenge. Will Jimmy Butler accept that? Will these guys be willing to make those sacrifices? Yeah, and my, I guess my my counter to that would be: Is this guy ever happy? You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty far and yeah. far, few and far between. You know, days when he's you know really happy with whatever his role is or whatever the case may be. And because of that reason, that may be Tobias Harris, who that ends up being the guy that that happens to. You know, now I think you can get away a little bit more with it with it being Butler because I think you can tell Harris. I think he's the new guy. He's probably you know despite he's he's been in the league just as long as the other guys and longer than a few others you're exactly right because if you if you handle butler wrong not only do you run the risk of this season not going the way you want you run the risk of you know him walking this summer now all of a sudden it's all right what are we doing here because we kind of went all in on these two guys to really push this thing forward and that now we you know maybe don't have one or you know potentially you could end up not having both of them and that's a big problem yeah don't you think tobias was brought in though a little bit for jimmy butler insurance Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. I, that was a conversation I had, you know, right after that trade with several people around the league. And that's what everybody said is everybody's like, Hey, this is a, it's a good upgrade no matter what, over what they gave up. Cause they, you know, gave, right. gave up guys who weren't really playing, you know, except for Landry Shamet and you know, the pick. And then they said, but think of it as you gave up that pick to get Harris plus Harris is your, you know, backup. Cause there's still a lot of people who they, there, there's a lot of people who doubt. You know, Philly may say we, our intention is to resign these two guys. And I had one somebody from another team tell me that's great that they say that, but if Jimmy Butler doesn't want that, it doesn't matter what they think. You know, and they said there's enough cap space around, and Jimmy Butler might be one of these guys who says, "Nah, that, that's all well and good, but you know what? I want to go to, you know, I want to go play for the Pacers or the Hawks or somebody." And you know, a bunch of people people said, you know, you never really know what's going on with that guy. He might pull a team completely out of left field and be playing for them next just because he's one of the more unpredictable guys in the entire NBA. Exactly. And it's, it makes, it makes the dynamic there interesting. And obviously when you talk about those top four in the East and that playoff chase, part of the fun of the dynamic is whatever happens, it is going to impact the summer dramatically. I mean, it's, you look at all four of those teams. If, if Milwaukee gets, I mean, we've said this a lot with, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, you know, and I heard that I heard this again from people in in Charlotte. What I was talking that I was talking to um, from around teams. Where look, the sense around the league is if the Raptors make the finals, he might very well stay. But if they don't, he's probably a Clipper next year with Kawhi Leonard. Like, there's a lot of feeling that that's where he's headed. But it, I think it goes deeper than that. Is Chris Middleton going? I mean, they're going to really work to keep him, and they they kind of have to max him out. But if they get bounced in the second round in Milwaukee, he's got options. Yeah. There's a lot. He's a very popular guy in front offices. He's going to get maxed out regardless. Does he want to be somewhere else where he likes his role better? Yeah, absolutely. You got a guy, and not only Middleton, but the other thing you have to look at if you're John Horse. Let's say they, let's say they they get bounced in the second round. Let's say it's even in you know five or six games. It doesn't even go a full seven, and you know it doesn't look as good. Now, now what you're looking at is all right. Well, I've got Giannis right. He's my building block. And I'd like to keep Middleton no matter what, but how much do I want to extend to keep Brooke Lopez? Do I want to re-sign Eric Bledsoe? Yep. What about Malcolm Brogdon? You know, am I going to pick up George Hill's contract or am I going to let him go um, and wave him and eat the you know small guarantee? And you, you start to really look at it. You mentioned Toronto. Yeah, does, does Kawhi leave? Does Marcus All opt in or out of his player option? You know, what happens with you know their other free agents? Is it time to trade Kyle Lowry? We all know they they talked you know extensively leading up to the trade deadline about moving him. 
Philly, another team, right? We, we just talked about them. And then Boston, it extends to them as well, where, you know, let's say they flame out early. You may have Kyrie Irving say, you know what? This isn't going the way I thought it would go. I'm going to move on. I'm going to go do something different. And then, you know, if he's not there, then to the Celtics say, well, forget this Anthony Davis thing. Let's build around the other guys that we've got coming back because we're, you know, we've already proven we're a pretty good team anyway. You know, let's build that. So it's it really is two, two teams are not going to go as far as they hope for. And it's going to be really interesting then how those two teams approach the summer because it obviously ended earlier than what they were hoping and that that's going to make make things really really interesting when we get to you know the draft and then obviously in the free agency yeah it puts a it puts a real pressure on that second round of the playoffs and and to a degree even even the conference finals it's makes it 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 just ups the dynamic there i want to ask talk to you for a second too about you get you know the brooklyn nets are pretty much locked in at six uh, at the bottom of the East, but then you've got Charlotte and Detroit seven and eight. Charlotte, well, technically Charlotte and I mean, sorry, Detroit and Miami are tied with eight and nine. So those two teams, and then right behind them, Orlando, all within a game of each other between uh, seven and ten. Um, it almost feels like Orlando's going to make this thing. They have been surging lately, seven and three in their last ten. They've won five in a row. They've been playing better lately. Are they? Uh, you're seeing them up close. A, what's going better for them? And B are they are they going to make this yeah i think they're going to be in it all the way down down the stretch they've got one of the easier schedules remaining um i believe 538 actually picks them to make the playoffs if i remember right when i looked at it uh just just as we hit the all-star break so that's really you know that, that's a different feel you know nor, normally we're already into you know yeah. um you know trade deadline and it's sell everything off and you know start moving you know down in the standings and instead they're pushing in and you ask what you know what, what's kind of working for them is I think they finally found a, a, a style of play that's very sustainable. They, it's all based around their defense first. Yo, they've played really, really good defense. So I, I want to say it since since Christmas at least, and it's probably even longer. They've been a top ten defense, and they've really figured it out. You know, it's it's really hard to score on them inside with you know Vucevic is much improved, and then you've got Gordon and Isaac who are two athletic guys. Evan Fournier has always been a little bit of an underrated defender. You know, he gets after when Terrence. Ross comes in, you know, he's always been kind of a, I, I think the D part of the three and D in his game has been forgotten, but he was a good defender. And then they're not relying on this crazy outside shooting, which has kind of always been their downfall the last couple of seasons when they've got off to good starts. It's been, well, they're shooting the lights out, but they, you know, that can't maintain. Now what they're doing is uh, Steve Clifford has really said, we're going to play through Vooch because that's always there every night. You know, he's there and, you know, and and it's funny because there was a lot of, you know, why is this guy in the all-star game? He's so boring. Well, one, we don't. You know, it's not about the most exciting players. If if you want that, just watch the rookie sophomore game, right, or whatever rising stars, whatever we're calling. Because that's probably got the more exciting guys in it in some ways. But it's to reward a guy who's just there every single night and plays solid. He, he's going to give you fifteen and ten minimum every single game, and that's something the Magic have really come to rely on. And then then beyond that, Jonathan Isaac's just playing at a level. You know, he really hasn't been this in a lot of ways. This is the second half of his rookie year now. Because he he was out for large chunks of his first season, and it's you can really see it's really cool when you get to see it up close. You can see him making plays now that he wouldn't even have tried, you know, earlier this year, and especially at the end of last season. Now he's making those plays, and you can almost there. It's almost like you you want to envision it like a video game where there's a confidence meter that you can actually look at because that thing would be you know bubbling over right now. That's how you know confident he is in his game. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I loved him at Summer League, and it's it's been fun to see him just keep growing from there. Because at Summer League, thinking, oh, he's gonna he's gonna break out. Like he's he's ready. Yeah, when they put the ball in his hands and had uh, him and Bamba running four or five pick and roll, I was like, what is this? This is you know, the, is this the future of basketball? You know, it's, no. we, we haven't obviously seen too much of that translate to the NBA, but but you know, Isaac was a ready made defender coming in as a rookie, and now just his offensive game is really starting to figure it out. And once he gets fully confident in that turnaround jump shot. I mean, you're talking about a kid who's he he's got that Kevin Garnett disease where I'm not I'm the only six eleven, but he's every bit of seven feet, if not, you know, taller. And he's got that turnaround jump shot that once he gets that thing down, it's just unblockable. And he's just gonna get it off whenever he feels like it. Yeah. Uh, well you talked about Orlando having an easier schedule. Charlotte's the opposite. They actually have these one of the toughest schedules in the league the rest of the way. 
Uh, but Kemba Walker was talking about this at All Star Weekend. Like they've really got to buckle down the rest of the way um, if they're going to make the playoffs. They are the seven seed as we speak, but like I said, they are a game out of being the ten seed, and they've got they've got to find some wins in places they don't normally find wins right now on the road for one, <clears throat> or they're eight and twenty one. But in general, they've got to find some because it's going to be tight for them. It's going to be really tight. And then you get into Detroit and Miami and I Detroit has more talent. Uh, maybe I think they've played better of late, but I always feel like that's a coin flip. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that, I think that one's probably going to come down to health between those two yeah. teams. And, 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 you know, and I, I do think Charlotte might fall out here. I get to see the right, right. The day, last day before the all-star break on that, you know, super light Thursday, there wasn't very many games. I was at Charlotte and Orlando and Charlotte had beaten Orlando 13 straight times, which is, you know, that's, that's three plus years, you know, in the yeah. NBA that, you know, yeah, you haven't, you know, won against the team and then they lost and they, and they lost, you know, Orlando was up 38 points at one point in that game and just took it right to them. So it's, you know, the, the Hornets problem is, when you look at it, it becomes a lot of Kemba Walker. And if he's off or he gets shut down, they just don't have much else. Yeah. And I'll say, uh, by the way, if you're going to, since we're talking about Kemba, go to NBC Sports, find uh, Dan Feldman's story on Kemba, talking about just that, that he's not, look, he's not have ever had another all-star player with him on that roster. And that shows, and I, by the way, I'll I'll just throw this out there as a rumor I heard. He wasn't necessarily thrilled that they didn't do anything at the deadline. I don't know that he's leaving Charlotte next summer because of it or anything like that, although he certainly will have options uh, if, if he wanted to consider it. But there was some frustration there. That said, he's a guy who really – you could see that over the week. He loves the city, and uh, I'm not sure if he's ready to go back to the faster pace of a, um, a bigger market necessarily. So it's – it's funny you you say that because I heard the same thing. I heard he was a little upset they didn't come away with a Gasol, and then you know when it was the the Harris trade was made, it was a little like could we have not got involved with that? The problem is they just don't have a lot of tradable contracts. They're they're a mess. One of my you know favorite but most sad stats is this is the second straight year Kemba Walker is the sixth highest paid player on his own team you know now some of that's because he signed an under market extension but I mean but that's just you know a little silly and and what I what what I have heard from multiple people is you know Charlotte needs to act quick to get him re-signed because if the Knicks miss out on their primary targets they're gonna go hard after saying hey come back home yeah no they they don't have a path forward to putting a lot of good talent around him. Um, like you said, if they're going to do it, it's just because of internal improvement and you know how much you believe in Malik Monk. So it's I, I that's why I think Detroit could be the team that sneaks into. I mean, they look Blake Griffin's been playing phenomenally this year, but they they have stretches. There's moments where Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, and Griffin just kind of put it together and they can be really good for I think longer stretches than Charlotte but we'll we'll see like you said injuries are going to play a big factor in this as we as we head down the stretch man Keith it's gonna be fun to watch thanks for jumping on uh, you got anything fun coming up at Yahoo uh, for from for me, I went right from trade deadline mode into um, we're starting to starting to do some some off season planning and prep for how we want to approach the off season. So you know we're you know uh, unfortunately for you know roughly you know a quarter of the league we're already there. Yep. You know for the, for those teams, so we're starting to look at you know how we want to talk about those teams as you know approaching the rest of this year and heading into the draft. And then I'm gonna have a uh, something coming on the Orlando Magic soon, just because you know they they deserve more national shine. And then you know uh, Kyle Kuzma saying he'd rather be bad and in, in LA and or talked bad about in LA than you know talk good about in Orlando. You know that's uh, you know unfortunately some of the most you know uh, national publicity the Magic have gotten recently and that's not very good and they deserve more than that. So we're we're gonna get uh, get something going on you know some of their young guys and exactly how we got here with the Magic. Yeah, that's good. I still think they're a team. I mean, I've got questions, but I think that that's a team, like you said, with with some promise, some young promise. We'll see what Mo Bamba becomes. Um, that's it's, it's it's still a ways to go on that project. But Jonathan Isaac looks good, and there's other young pieces there, and they're going to have their picks and stuff in the future years. So, uh, and, and Markel Fultz. Um, I'm yeah, sorry, that, that's actually a great point. I, I can't believe I left him out. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, big, big hopes for him. You know, there. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him again this regular season, um, or, or just don't see him this regular season in a, in a Magic jersey. They're really going to let him get uh, both physically and mentally healthy in there. But they they've got high hopes that you know he can really develop into something. I mean, you know, and, and as I keep telling people, pe- people want to dump all over the kid, but we're you know less than two years away from everybody saying this kid was the consensus number one pick and you know, what, what a steal Philly got and, you know, did Boston make a bad trade and you know, all the, all those kind of things. And it's, it's turned rather quickly. And I think, you know, I think uh, Philly and Boston were both okay with how it turned out. And now I think Orlando is the one who stands to benefit. And I think Fultz developing a little less in the spotlight could, could really help him become the player. We all hope he, you know, eventually will be. Exactly. I do think he needs to get out of the spotlight and get in a, uh, look, it's been a pretty good development environment down there, um, and it doesn't have the not only the spotlight of being the number one seed in the big market, but the you know, look, that was a win now pressure. You're part of our big three. We think we can take big steps yeah. in Philadelphia. That's just not where Orlando is right now. So I think the pacing will be better for him, and we'll see. I, I think honestly, even people in Philadelphia, I don't know anybody actually rooting like the people in Philadelphia want to see him succeed. They just kind of realize it wasn't going to happen where they were. Yeah, I think you've just got the handful of people who, you know, anytime a player is traded away, that guy's, you know, junk and we never liked him anyway. And, you know, whatever we got back for him is better. And, you know, the reality is that's it's not really how it works. And, you know, whenever I hear that, I'm I'm just constantly reminded, you know, in sports, we all just root for laundry. So, you know, you just got to kind of live live with it and, you know, go with it from there. Uh, By the way, the number of teams who gave up on a guy after two years and came back to credit is long and storied. Um, (laughs) So we'll see what ultimately happens man absolutely yep. right. thanks again for doing this keith and everybody yeah absolutely thanks for having me and we'll be back next week with more pro basketball talk podcast here at nbc sports teats and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference we come to work every day to do it the right way even if it's the hard way because if it's not right for us it's not right for you Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.